0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Vox Church pastor and author, Justin Kendrick. We discuss developing personal habits for spiritual growth and coming alongside others to help them do the same. This is also known as discipleship. Something Justin wrote in his book, Bury Your Ordinary, is what our conversation is based around. He wrote, If you ask a mature Christian at your church to disciple you, he or she will usually meet you for coffee, listen to your problems, and encourage you to read the Bible. Those are all really good things. But is that all there is to discipleship? Let's jump into our conversation to hear the answer Justin shares. Good evening, Justin, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm excited for this conversation. And so we will jump right in so that listeners can get to know you a little bit, share a little bit about you, your family, and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, we live in New Haven, Connecticut, home of Yale University, little city, right in between New York and Boston. And uh, my wife and I have been married... 17 years. We met when we were 15 and uh got married at 21. Yeah. So uh we've been together longer than we've been apart, actually. And uh and so yeah, so I'm 38 now and we have a 14, almost 15-year-old son, 12-year-old son, uh, seven-year-old son, and then a two and a half year old daughter. And uh, and we just got a dog. We just we just got a dog. It's the COVID, uh,
1: it's COVID dogs. We got one too.
0: (laughs) I know, right. (laughs) We got that. We got a great dog. She's a golden retriever and Aww. she's a puppy and she's chill. Thank you, oh. Jesus. Cause I got enough crazy in my life, but, um, but yeah, she's great. Her name is Winifred. I and love uh, it. yeah, so my wife and I started a church in 2011 with really a dream of planting hundreds of churches across new England. You know, uh, the Northeast is a part mm-hmm. of the country that is, uh, you know, the least church. Nobody reads the Bible. Nobody prays. It's, it's in my city, 2% of people regularly participate in church services. And so wow. um, we're the lowest in the, in the nation, not a great statistic to have about your city and about uh, your state. But so that was 10 years ago. We're actually just in next month opening our ninth church, uh, our ninth campus. Uh, and so it's been a miracle. We've seen hundreds of people meet Jesus. It has been a wild ride and the church has just exploded. And so we are, we are so grateful Um, and I often ask my wife, why in the world did God choose us for this Mm -hmm. work? But, uh, we'll do this the rest of our lives. So that's a little bit about me.
1: So your churches that have opened, do you all do mainly satellite locations or are you getting a whole nother staff for every location?
0: Yeah. So every location has a pastor. Every location has a staff. Um, every location, you know, functions usually right in the center of a city. So we have of our, of our nine location, eight are in city centers, like right in the center of a, of a city. And so it's a diverse church. Um, yeah. you know, you get all kinds of people when you're downtown in the city, but, uh, but the sermon is streamed. I preach live and it's streamed to every location live, uh, every week. So it's like a video teaching with live worship, live, yeah. you know, leadership obviously is in the room and discipleship, small groups, you know, men's women's ministry is all happening, you know, locally.
1: I feel like we could have a co- whole conversation about, what that's like, and just really making sure that you keep yourself accountable to people. Cause I know as a church grows, it can be challenging.
0: So listen, people are blowing up all over the place, right? I mean, it's like, Oh yeah. If you're not soberly creating healthy accountability, uh, you're Mm. in big, big trouble. So yeah, that's it that is a good, that's a good conversation. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs>
1: that could be a whole other hour. Yeah, yeah. Well, so tell me, how did you come to know Jesus and you know, what's your faith journey been like a little bit up until really planning the church?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, did not grow up in a family that was very Jesus focused. I am like, you know, it's funny that God really led me to stay in new England and start churches. Cause I am like very typical new England, like, I don't want to say average in every way, but average in every way from a very normal New England home. We were Catholic that was not really focused or committed. We didn't attend church very often. Parents were divorced when I was seven. uh, Didn't have any spiritual focus or ambition at all until I was a teenager. And my dad met Jesus at a Pentecostal church downtown in the city. And um, I came in and thought, this is crazy. These people will go to church for two hours. I do not want to be here. And, um, one week we stayed and I listened to the preacher and for the first time in my life, I heard about Jesus and I heard about the gospel Mm -hmm. and I was stunned by grace. I mean, I was literally as a teenage kid stunned by grace. And I had a transformation with Jesus that I, I can't even explain to this day. My life turned on a dime. My friends and my family thought I was crazy. And, um, and from that moment, that was my freshman year in high school. From that moment on, um, I have just been a lover and follower of Jesus, sloppy, you know, full of fumbles and failures, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but genuine in my in my following of Jesus. Only by grace, um, really, only by grace. So, in uh, in the course of high school and then college, I got involved in a music ministry and started traveling with a Christian music group. So, my wife and I actually met through some relationships and friendships and music. And uh, she's a keyboard player. I play guitar. We both were a part of this music group and we did it full time for the first seven years of our marriage and just traveled the world, told people about Jesus and played music. And it was awesome. And in 2010, clearly felt drawn by the Holy spirit back to the Northeast and back to Mm. New England, back to where I grew up and with a dream to see this area changed. And so we really wrestled with it for about a year and we're like, do we really want to give our lives to this? You know, this is yeah. kind of like the preacher's graveyard. It's not the place you see big churches. We had never seen a church grow in all of our church, you know, experience in the Northeast. We just hadn't seen a church explosively grow. And so after a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of wrestling, we finally said, let's go, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit about the journey with Jesus. But for me, you know, above all else um, it's wanting to know God more. You know, it's not like building a big organization or writing a book or anything like that. For me, the thing that thrills me is to walk with God, to know yeah. him. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, that's the passion of my life without question.
1: Well, and that's really what we're going to talk about today is discipleship and a lot of things that go along with that, because that can become, that's become, and you write about that in Bury the Ordinary, about how that's become kind of a watered down churchy word. Right. Right. And so as we dive into that a little bit, something in your book that I really appreciate that you say that I want you to expound on a little bit is God is deeply satisfied with who you are and Mm. how important that is in becoming a disciple of Christ. And so just expound on that a little, because I know you're not talking about that. You are enough mentality when you say that.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, I think the most um, incredible thing about God is that the more you explore and examine who he is, the more you fall in love with him because mm-hmm. God is just, and God is holy and God is righteous and God is pure. And he is also loving. And this profound love actually defines our lives. As we get to know God, that as we explore and discover who Jesus is, we find that his love, of course, compelled him to come right Mm -hmm. and die, give his life, rise from the dead, place his spirit in me so that now by faith in Christ, I can be blameless. This is the ABCs of the gospel. And yet for so many of us, it's not become the ground of our identity. Right. And Mm -hmm. so in our culture, we often think, you know, Amber, I'm important because I accomplished this or because I make this money or because whatever, all these different status symbols we have. Right. But God says you're important because I love you period. Mm. And so, you know, you maybe have heard it before, but when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan river, the spirit of God descends upon him. And the father says, this is my son who I love and I'm well pleased with him. And of course, Jesus had never performed a single miracle at that time. He hadn't done great exploits. He hadn't given his life on the cross. He had just lived as a carpenter, faithful to his father. And it was the affirmation that God does not love you because of what you do. He loves you because of who he is. Mm -hmm. And so when I receive his love, it grounds me as a person of value. And now as a person of value, I can actually, like I talk about in the book, create habits to know him more, not out of an insecure need to be affirmed, but out of a love for someone who loved me already. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what I mean. When I say he's satisfied with who you are, when you receive grace through Christ, You stand blameless before God on the merits of Jesus. Now, if that's true, it should become the bedrock of my confidence.
1: Mm Oh, that's so good. I mean, I think so much about, I don't know if you've ever read to your kids, the Max Likato book that, oh goodness, what is it even called? Oh, the Little uh, Stars the or whatever? or no, not yeah. the, It's been
0: a while, but I remember that one. That's a great book.
1: Like You Are Special or something. You Are Special,
0: I think it's and, called, yeah.
1: Oh, it's, it's just such a picture of oh. how God feels yeah. about you. He does not see you like the world.
0: Isn't it so funny though, that I think I think 80%, 90% of Christians, Christ followers, don't actually believe that.
1: 100%.
0: You know, like really internalize that because we're still scrambling for affirmation. You know, Mm -hmm. we've been eternally affirmed and yet we're living from this place of affirmation and that's, that's our need for affirmation. That's what I talk about in the book is that we have to massage that truth into our hearts and actually create habits that teach us the gospel, uh, because we know it, you know, I think it was Martin Luther. who said, you have to preach the gospel to yourself every day Yes, because we know it in our head, but then why are you still comparing your car to that person at work? Why are you still trying to have more money in your bank account than that other guy? Why are you so insecure? You know, and yeah. it's, it's because you don't actually believe that he loves you.
1: Mm. Well, and I love that you say that you have to, you know, that Martin Luther quote, because, mm. When you think about preaching the gospel to yourself every day, I think sometimes we can even, I don't want to say only say, but just repeat like the John 3, 16, which is awesome. Right. But even when you're saying the gospel, Mm -hmm. there is just a lot to that. Correct. And that's why you have to have habits and know God's word.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And there's, of course, there's the simple gospel mm-hmm. that God loves you. And he came, he died, he rose again. And now by faith in him, you can be blameless in his sight, receive that's eternal right. life and have a relationship with God. Well, I just shared that in five seconds, right? But then every part of that gospel truth has levels of complexity that Mm -hmm. will take eternity for us to fully grasp yes and so to think oh justin the gospel some for someone who's brand new let me get on to the other things of my faith is to misunderstand how the entire plan of god works for our lives
1: Mm. yeah i have definitely said many times like i have never been more aware of how much i need the gospel than every phase of parenting
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah that is uh i mean there's plenty of other things that's right that's but right but it's like Nothing oh it'll get you. easier yeah uh-uh. <laughs> that's then that's they same. become teenagers that's and so
1: not true. that teenagers are bad it's just a different type of parenting
0: yeah you know sometimes you got to cast out the demon sometimes you gotta <laughs> you know uh you know pray for the sick there's all there's all kinds of things you got to do with a teenager so i agree uh, i've got one and one that is a tween almost a teen and so uh yeah it's, it's a jungle
1: Oh, it's so funny. Well, something that you did, um, write That I absolutely love because we do think about discipleship as, oh, you know, we're going to invite somebody to coffee or they're going to tell us about their problems. Yep. Um, we're going to pray for them and we're going to tell them yep. to read their Bible. Right. But you have said, is that all discipleship is? Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask you that question. So, you good. know, all those things are good. But is that all the discipleship is about?
0: No, So, so it is not. So, you know, I think I think we're in a unique moment right in history because we've all had this crazy last year and a half where our all of our worlds kind of been blown up, but there's a gift hidden in that right and. Some of us are trying to rush back to our ordinary routines. Let's get back to church. Let's get back to Bible study. Let's get back to small group. And that's not wrong. None of those things are inherently wrong, but I do think we're at a, a key turning point moment for a lot of followers of Jesus to say, hey, hey, time out, time out. And that's why I wrote this book. Time out, you know, shouldn't we do like an autopsy on our spiritual life? Yeah. And maybe we've oversimplified and been under intentional about spiritual Mm -hmm. growth. And I, you know, I've sat with at this point, hundreds of of Christians and I've just asked them, hey, what's your plan for spiritual growth? Because we're passionate about having a plan for exercise and a plan for our kids education and a plan for healthy diet and, and a plan for retirement. And all those things are good, but you know, isn't spiritual growth isn't becoming more like Jesus supposed to be the center of our entire lives. How is it that we don't have a plan, right? I don't think there's only one plan, just like there's not only one exercise routine, but I think that you really should have a plan. And so honestly, Amber, for me, like 20 years ago as a teenage kid, well, 19, 20, 21, right around that time, I started asking God, like, God, help me find a helpful, useful plan for discipleship. Mm -hmm. And I've spent 20 years in the laboratory, tinkering, tweaking, working. And so, uh, this, this is actually for me, it's about, it's about 18 years old because I started implementing these habits in my own life. And then I had a small group of friends I was living with at the time before I got married. There were, there were nine guys in a two bedroom apartment that I lived with all trying to follow. Pause. It was crazy. What is
1: it with men that will do oh, that? This oh, is my crazy. husband. I'm like, before yeah, that, I'm stupid. like, why are there so many guys living in this little Because <laughs> we were cheap. Girls don't
0: oh, do that. Oh no, they don't. My wife wouldn't even. She was my fiance at the time. My girlfriend. She wouldn't even come in my apartment. It was so funky. Oh, wouldn't but, it? Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
0: No, it's okay. Yeah, that's it's real. That's real. But even in that environment, just experimenting with how do I help these guys grow spiritually, and then getting married and doing this in my marriage, and then you know in small groups, and then in a traveling ministry eventually, which with hundreds of people at our church, how do we intentionally grow? in a process of discipleship. And what we found was uh, really everything begins with habits, whatever you do consistently, that's what gets momentum and health and growth and stability in your life. And so I really started playing with, okay, what's the first habit a Christian needs to be intentional about? And then what's the second habit? And then the third habit. And over time, these seven habits formed and we just saw people starting to grow fast. And one of the fun sides of seeing a little right now, spiritual awakening in the Northeast is that most of the people in our church, they're really new to faith. And so for them, they would come to me and say, okay, Hey, I never been in church my whole life. I just opened my heart to Jesus. What am I supposed to do? Mm. And I'd be like, let me tell you the first thing you need to do. And I just began to give them these. And so now it just became normal. Mm. And so like, we're doing things that other Christians in other parts of the country and the world are like, are you kidding? That have become kind of just the the fabric of our community. And we're watching people in three or four years become incredibly mature. Mm. Whereas in another context, it would have been 10 or 20 years and they would have never really grown that way. So yeah, the proof's in the pudding, but it's been, it's been fun to kind of watch. And I think for so many Christians, I would just start with that question of like, do you have a plan to grow your soul and your spirit in your faith? And I think most would kind of be like, well, not really. Mm
1: -hmm. It's so true. And it's so heartbreaking. It's almost like, I think that you just think, oh, because I became a believer, like God's just going to do it. Not that (laughs) God can't. Right. And and I think that's the mentality a lot of times. Oh, he'll just do it.
0: Right. It's kind of like the way a lot of us think about money. Like, do you have a budget? Oh, well, the Lord's going to bless it. And listen, God's gracious with us, but I think- He is, he's patient too. He is. And I think you should have a budget, but I think even before you have a budget, you should have a plan for your soul to grow.
1: Mm, Amen to that. Today's episode is brought to you by a podcast that I have been listening to for the last year called Compelled. And I'm a huge fan. They use gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate the powerful ways God is transforming the lives of his people around the world. It's full of incredible stories from missionaries, addicts, prisoners, and other believers sharing how God has changed their lives. And they combine those testimonies with sound effects, music, and narration. It truly is one of a kind. In fact, just last week, they released a story of Catherine Zoller, who at age 15 was sentenced to eight years in prison for grand theft auto, larceny, arson, and more. But when she escaped state custody and started hitchhiking across the nation, she was picked up by a country pastor who would share a message with her that would transform her life. Her testimony is exceptional and convicting, and I think that you would love it. Listen to Catherine's story by searching for Compelled on your favorite podcast app or by visiting compelledpodcast.com. Now, back to this week's conversation with Justin Kendrick. Well, give us a little bit of a highlight of those habits that you have outlined in the book that I do think is just a wonderful read.
0: Yeah, for sure. The first couple habits, actually, they sound overly simple. And I think a lot of people, you know, at first glance, they go, "Oh, okay, got that one. What's next? And what I want to encourage readers is that, you know, if you think you've arrived, you know, I love that passage. I think it's in first Corinthians where Paul says, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he should realize that he does not know as he ought to know. It's like, Oh, that's a great parenting quote too, by the way. Like, <laughs> I was yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, ouch. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first, the first, um, habit I call the habit of relationship and the challenge in that habit is to spend the first hour of your day alone with God. Okay. And now, Like I said, I have four kids, my wife and I both do this. Okay. We both spend the first hour of our day alone with God. And so you might think, you know, that's impossible. I can't do that. If you've never had the habit of devotions or a quiet time, then that's going to sound incredibly intimidating. So I always encourage people I'll start with 15 15 minutes minutes, and then 20 and then 30, but the problem is, you know, and this is just candid. Most Christians don't spend more than 15 focused minutes alone with God every morning. And so the challenge is to reshape your morning time so that it is inconveniently centered around time with God. And I think, you know, the next problem people have is, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I move around my exercise routine and the time I wake up and what I do at night, just so I can have an hour, I'm going to lose my mind in about eight minutes. You know, I'm not going to be able to focus that long. And to me, that says, perfect. You've now discovered your first problem. And it's, you don't know how to embrace stillness. Mm -hmm. And so this habit of the relationship forces your soul to slow down every morning. And you might say, Justin, I fall asleep when I do this. Okay. That's all right. Jesus will meet you in your slumber, do your best to not fall asleep, but begin to cultivate. And of course, in the book, I get into like, well, what does that habit really look like? And I give some super practical models for spending time with God. But I think I think a lot of Christians have the wrong idea about spending time with God as this first habit, because they think, well, if I spend time with God, then he'll love me and bless me and everything is going to be good in my life. So we think that it's like you're punching in, you know, and I want to flip it upside down and realize this time isn't for God. This time is because you don't believe that he loves you like he does and so you have to meditate on his truth in the morning to reprogram your thoughts for the rest of the day so that you can live from his love and from his acceptance rather than for his love to try to get his acceptance yes and that amen. change changes everything
1: absolutely it 100% does and i think about um i have you know i mean some friends are like how do you get up in the morning and mm-hmm. um and you know it is it's like well don't let we say that about everything. Like you gotta start somewhere. Right, right. Totally. I mean, you gotta start somewhere, but start. Totally.
0: Yeah, you gotta start somewhere and and it it begins with intentionality. And it's like, you know, I've been married 17 years. If I was like, if I said to my wife, hey, I wanna have a great relationship with you, but I really don't want to set a time aside any time to talk or any time to hear from you. I don't wanna really think about you or ever communicate with you. Uh well, I will for 90 minutes or an hour and fifteen on Sunday, but that's the only time we're really gonna talk, you and me. How's that marriage sound? It's like, no, that's a nightmare, right? It can't mm-hmm. work like that. And yet we kind of expect the same thing from God. And so it's a simple habit and a lot of Christians are kind of doing it, but I try to take that alone time with Jesus to another level in the book and, and really uh, put some skin and intentionality around it. And so that's habit one, that's where we start. Yeah. So yeah, like in my journey with Christians where I'll sit with someone, they'll say, Hey, I want to, Be discipled. I say, great. Let's go grab some lunch and we'll sit. And I'll say, Do you spend time in the morning with God? And they go, Well, not really. And I say, Okay. And then we actually unpack in the book. I talk about sowing the word and digging deep in scripture. Those are both little acronyms to remember different ways you can read the Bible and pray. But I just unpack for them here's some things you can do in that hour. Try it for 30 days. And it's a money back guarantee. I'm telling you, after 30 days, you're going to be like, I have more peace. Yep. I have more rest in my life. I'm more focused. I'm getting more done in my day. I'm thinking clearer. Uh, I have more confidence. I sleep better. All of a sudden, all these other things start falling into place because you just built relationship with God as an anchor in your routine.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so what are, About I don't want one. you to, I know I'm like, that's the first one. Now there's like, yeah, yeah. there's seven total, right? There Am are. I right in saying yeah. that? I'm like, okay. So I mean, and I don't expect you to go in depth on totally. all of them, but what are, yeah, just keep laying yeah, them out the there because over. I think it's so awesome for people to know, like there are ways to actually be a disciple and then make mm-hmm. disciples because totally. that is our purpose.
0: That's supposed to be right. Yeah. I mean, go we're always like, where are place.
1: we called to? And I'm like, well, our right. purpose is to make disciples. Everybody. everybody. That is
0: so important. So important. I think Christians yeah, we say well I'm called to be a singer or I'm called to you know whatever and and none of that is wrong but you're actually right. called to be a disciple and make disciples first yeah and, and that so, might
1: be the avenue that God uses but make sure that's your goal
0: Come on Yeah and so for the first three habits I call them centering habits because Living with Jesus at the center of my life never happens by accident. And so everything in the world is going to try to get into the center, right? So my kids try to get into the center. My career tries to get in the center. My money tries to get in the center. So how do I keep Jesus at the center? I give three specific habits that help you stay centered on Jesus. The second cluster is uh, habits four and five. And I call those guardrail habits. And those are the habits that help your train not fly off the tracks. And those have to do with money and sexuality, two things that just destroy people's lives all the time. And so how do I create intentional habits around those two things to guard my life? Mm -hmm. The last two habits, uh, I call them long haul habits. Those are the ones that if I wanna love Jesus and stay healthy long-term, what am I gonna do? And so those two habits, they focus around rhythm, and around replication, building uh, a community of people who are pursuing Jesus with you. And so that's kind of the quick flyover of the three segments. There's seven, but it's three, two, two. And so it's all about Jesus staying at the center and then keeping guardrails on my journey and then lasting and going the distance. And so that's sort of a a brief picture of the seven.
1: Well, and I love that one of the seven is Sabbath because my family and I, we Sabbath as well. And I love also that you... I say, my family and I. My children are still. We're, we're working on it with them. <laughs> yeah. What, who am yeah. I kidding? I'm working on it with myself too. Totally. Me too. Yep. It's much more difficult when you have kids. I understand that. Yes. Um, is what I'm trying to say. I can't remember if I heard it on a podcast you were on or read it in the book, but I—I I mean, it was a hard habit for you to develop. Big time.
0: It was. Yeah. So that's habit. Of, I call it the habit of rhythm. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I think I was like a lot of Christians, like we all believe in the 10 commandments, but we actually only follow nine, right? We go, yeah, honor my father and mother. I got to do that. Oh, I can't take the Lord's name in vain. Oh, I've got to, you know, I can't, I can't covet. But then you get to that Sabbath and you're like, oh wait, well, that one's old Testament. Right. And so we kind of cut that out for whatever yeah, reason, like did. we just cut it out. And so, you know, most people in our world think that if I stop Uh, the world's going to slip off its axis, you know? And so, you know, for me personally, as a pastor planting churches uh, in new England, which is a really fast paced, go, go, go prove yourself kind of environment. Um, I skipped Sabbath for a long time and it was only about five years ago that, um, I had, I had been preaching Sabbath, but I had been cheating, you know, because Sunday is my Sabbath, but I work like 50 hours on Sunday. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, what? And so, you know, it wasn't until about five years ago that personally things started unraveling in my body just without, with, with no pace and just exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And I was in my early 30s thinking, what are you kidding? Why am I so tired? Why am I so burned out? And it was because I was neglecting God's intention for rest. And it was pride. That was the root of it. The root of it was, I think I'm holding things together. And so you have to see Sabbath as sort of a, it's a faith act and it's a decree that I live on God, not on work. And so it's to stop. And it's not just a day to do your laundry and a day to pay your bills. It's a day to pause, pray and play. So for me, it's Friday night. Yeah. Friday night, I light a candle and we stop. We worship. And as a family from Friday night to Saturday night, usually five to five. And that's actually the historical Sabbath too in in Jewish culture. But we, we pause, pray and play. So it doesn't mean that we can't have fun. We have a lot of fun. Obviously you've got kids too. You know, Sabbath looks different. You know, it's not like, well, I'm going to meditate all day. It's like, well, the baby's (laughs) screaming. I'm not going to meditate all day, but I am going to be intentional to Mm -hmm. slow down. I don't, I don't, Answer my phone. I don't check email. I just stop. And for me, a pastor of a church, like that thing's gonna ring. I don't care. It can ring. Um, that's a time to pause. And so it's my way of saying, God, I'm dependent upon you. And um, and for the long haul, your soul needs this. If you're a business owner, if you're no one gets to cheat the Sabbath. Here's what I've learned either you give a day back to God to pause, pray, and play or Or god takes it from you eventually and stops you in your track so you could pay now and play later or you can play now and pay later
1: yeah you know so my question with that too is you're about five years in i mean do you find yourself just for honesty for the listeners and me struggling still with it at times um we're struggling with it again right now and part of that is because things have started back up again and it's like okay wait
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You got to fight for it. There's no doubt. I I have found though, you know, Amber, as I've, as I've practiced Sabbath, I've Mm -hmm. found that um, I love it now.
1: Yeah. You long for it. Yeah.
0: I look forward to it. I look forward when I, when I light that candle, it's like,
1: "Ah," like
0: in my heart, it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to stop. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what's ringing and buzzing. I'm going to stop and I'm just going to worship and I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to rest. We're going to go out to a big breakfast we're gonna pray. We're gonna take a long walk, and it's just like I actually really enjoy that time. And so, yeah, sometimes it's a fight, but it's kind of a fight that I want to have yeah. now. You know? Yeah,
1: I love to hear that. Uh, one of our pastors, that's the exact thing thing that he has said to us. I had him on the show when we were talking about Sabbath, and he's like, you know, after a while, when you're really tired during the week, yeah, you find yourself going, okay, Sabbath is coming, so that's it right. almost is this rhythm where you're like, okay, my rest is coming. I can push through the hard yep. work that I've got to do to get there.
0: That's right. Yeah. And
1: yeah, that's amazing. All right. So tell me, bury your ordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like we've talked about that a little yeah, bit, Yeah, yeah. Yep. but I also, I really want to just know where that came from.
0: Totally. Yeah. You know, I just, I just got so fed up <laughs> not to be mean or anything else, but you know, for, before I planted the church, you know, I, I got an opportunity to just really travel all over the world. And and so often I would meet Christians in other contexts in Asia or in Africa in South America that they just, you know, for them, and I don't speak for all, but the people many times would interact with them. I saw a brand of Christianity that looked so different from the comfortable unwilling to be inconvenienced version that I so often see embraced in America. And and over time, as I studied the scripture, met brothers and sisters outside my context, I realized that so much of our problem is that we have an ordinary that is just, this is what you do. You know, this is, as a Christian, this is what you do. And if you're doing more than that, It's like, you're weird, you know, like, what are you doing? I think that especially now in the crazy upside down world we're living in, it's a really good time to just redefine the terms, you know, like, I think the statistic is just as an example, habit to the habit of radiance. It's about talking to people about Jesus. Um, The statistic is that the average American, American Christian will die without ever leading another person to faith in Christ. Mm. And, and leading someone to Jesus is one of the most exciting life-giving parts of our faith. And yet we have no grid to actually do it. We don't, it's like clumsy. We feel weird. And so most people just don't, they might invite their neighbor to church or something, but that's as far as it's going to go. So in the book, I give a whole chapter into how do you do this winsomely? How do you do this in our context, in this post-Christian crazy world we live in? How do you actually lead people to Jesus? And it's one of the most exciting and fun aspects of faith that most people have just completely put on the, on the shelf, you know? And so Um, this book is saying, listen, you've had an ordinary and how's that going for you? It's not going so great. So let's get rid of it. Let's just literally have a funeral and let's, especially right now, while everything's kind of up in the air anyways, let's just build some new habits Mm -hmm. that the end result is that your heart is full. And that's why the, you know, practical habits for a heart fully alive. The end result is that life comes alive, that the Mm. things that felt mundane and boring now become exciting. And, uh, yeah, I've seen this in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of hundreds of other people in my church and in my community. And so this book was just that moment where I said, it's time to share this and hopefully yeah. encourage some people along the way.
1: Yeah. Well, and as we're talking about this and we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of this, um, you know, really knowing that God loves you. Yeah. And then you also talk a lot about learn to trust him instead of just trying more. Yeah. And I think that is really, really hard because sometimes as we develop habits or we're trying to develop habits, it turns into a work, work, work. Now I'm bogged down. I don't want to do this at all. What am I doing this for? I I quit or it becomes about me. Oh, I did something great. So I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm a good Christian.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How would you speak to that?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just
1: trusting the Lord versus trying more and more.
0: I think that every habit can go two ways, right? Mm-hmm. That it can become it can become a habit that proves my value, or a habit that um, develops my dependence upon God. Mm. And and I think that you know it is natural for all of us to get into this try mode. I'm gonna try. All right, Justin. I read your book about habits. I'm gonna try to do some habits, and oh, now I failed, and so I just feel like I'm even worse off. And and I think at the core of that. And that's why I devote the first two chapters to this Uh, chapter two is called how Christians grow. And, and it's all about this idea that, you know, Paul says to Timothy, therefore uh, my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, what I've taught you, pass it on to others who will be able to teach those that uh, others also. And so there's this multiplicative teaching, this process of discipleship. That's what he's talking about, but he gives us a glimmer into how discipleship really works when he says, be strong in the grace, right? Mm. And so for every habit, and this is why we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, it needs to underscore grace. So I don't share my faith to get brownie points with God. I share my faith because I love people, right? Mm. I don't try to you know, discern the voice of the Holy Spirit so that I can look spiritual in front of others. That's the third uh, habit. I discern the voice of the Holy spirit because I love him and I want to walk with him in a personal dynamic relationship every day. And so each of these habits needs to be rooted in this idea of grace. And you're right, Amber. I mean, I think we wander from it so quickly. And I try at every stage in the book to say, listen, don't let the habit become a law, you know, um, let the habit flow out of love. The idea behind every habit is to grow in love. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's a process and it can become legalism. I know in my own life, it tries to become legalism and, you know, legalism either leaves you feeling good and then self-righteousness grows or feeling like a loser. And then self-reproach grows, both will destroy your soul. That's why you've got to turn back to grace, turn back to the gospel and receive, right? We receive the free gift of righteousness. That's what Paul said.
1: Well, and I like that because I, what I've found more common in my own life, in people's lives, like when I'm talking to them is, you know, it does really start with a, a desire to walk with God and to help yeah. others walk with God. And it's in the middle That's right. where it, it becomes, oh, I'm just working, 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 you yeah. know, and then yep. I'm tired, tired, tired because I'm not keeping my priorities in place. And so really coming back to the grace and love of God is key.
0: It's key. And that's why I, that's why the habits are actually listed the way they are, because um, I always encourage people like in a discipleship relationship. So this is actually a great resource. I, I've been I've used this you know, for 20 years in this journey where someone says, hey, I want to grow in my faith. I just walk them through. So we start, I sit them down and I say, have you ever had time with God? And they go, I don't even know what that is. And then we start that process and we'll spend a month or two months, just meeting maybe weekly, maybe every other week. And just talking about what was it like when you read the Bible? Well, I'm doing this with a guy right now, my friend, Jesse, he met Jesus five months ago now and four months ago. And you know, for the first three months, we just spent time on this relationship idea. And so he read Matthew and he came back and he said, why? why is Jesus telling me to cut off my arm? You know, like, like all the questions that like come up the first time you ever read the Bible, you know? And, and so we're talking through those things. And then from there, I start talking to him about this habit of radiance. And I say, Hey, who in your life is far from God? He said, Oh, my dad and my mom. And, and, and I said, well, let's talk about what would it look like to share about Christ with them? And he came back, he said, Justin, you're never going to believe this. He said, you know, my mom, His mom ended up coming to church and she's crying in the parking lot because God touched her life and just all this crazy stuff's happening in his world and his heart's on fire for Jesus, but it all has to flow out of grace. And you just literally one by one by one, we walk through the habits. And by the time you get to the seventh, you realize it's time to go back to the first. And so it's a process that really just continues to develop and grow
1: in our lives. Well, as we begin to close out here, I do want to ask because I know the feeling having been in three different states and very much involved in different churches from having lived in different places that sometimes we have this let's throw the spaghetti against the wall approach Mm. and see what sticks. And it didn't work for this year, so we're moving on to something new next year approach to discipleship. Right? Where do you think churches? Are getting it wrong.
0: Yeah, so it's dangerous to ask a preacher this question, but I—I'll just please, please pour that it out. <laughs> I think that in general, churches want quick programs to create cookie cutter Christians, and they don't work. So let me do an eight week class. Let me do a five week, you know, Bible study. Let me do a, a, a big new beginners class. None of that is wrong, but if that's your discipleship process. What you have to realize is you are not following the model of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus found 12 guys. He lived with them. He walked with them. He one-on-one, flesh-on-flesh, life-on-life, did real life with them. And they went out and changed the world forever. So it seems like it's slow. It seems like it's messy. And yet the results are exponential. And so this book is built on that model of Jesus. Years ago, I read... Robert Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. And it's all about this idea of one on one discipleship. Find a small group of people, help them grow step by step. And this book really is a compliment to that in the sense that I say, well, what am I doing with those people? You're doing this, right? We're just going through these habits together. And so I'm going to go through them. You're going to go through them. I have a group that meets now. We just actually met this morning, um, four guys. And we're just going through these habits. It was today we were on habit uh, four, the habit of righteousness. It got crazy. We were talking about sexual purity, talking about how do you, you know, deal with lust. And it was awesome. I mean, guys Mm. were, it was powerful guys confess things that they've never shared. And it was so amazing. And it's just like, you know, this, this is the process. So I would, I would say to the churches, if you want quick fix, microwave, crank them out, then go ahead and do a class. But if you want life on life, slow, but powerful, real transformation, this is one model that actually works. It actually works. And so you know a great challenge would be take the book, read the book, don't wait until you do it all perfect, but find four or five friends. Actually on the website, I give a small group uh, curriculum that I developed with this, Mm -hmm. which is just a lot of fun and just go through it with people and watch. I guarantee at the end, you're going to be like, I think I'm a different person. I haven't arrived. I haven't, you know, I'm not won't until
1: the day of Christ Jesus. So we can't have that mentality.
0: (laughs) But, but I think here's the result. It's not about the habits. It's about at the end of the day, I love Jesus more. Mm -hmm. I just, I love him more and I love others more. Mm -hmm. And that is the essence of what it means to grow spiritually.
1: Okay. So then here's a follow-up question to that at your church. What is your model for small groups?
0: Absolutely. So we use small groups uh, (laughs) in two ways, excuse me. Um, We have our general small groups. We call them community groups. They're usually between 10 and 20 people. They meet weekly. Uh, We have hundreds of small groups across our campuses. And then we have core groups. Core groups are groups that uh, they're usually no more than five people. They're guys with guys, girls with girls. Sometimes the community groups break into core groups. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people are in a different, like I'm in a community group. And then I'm also in a core group and the guys are actually different in my context, Mm -hmm. but it depends. People do it either way, but the core groups, uh, we have, we have basically, we've developed what we call, you know, uh, core modules and it's these seven habits worked out in small discussions Mm -hmm. for those core groups. And it just never ends because these habits are always growing in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, we just challenge every person in our church to be involved in a community group and a core group. And they can often meet like, you know, we, a lot of groups, they'll do like, hey, we meet every week in our, in our small group, our community group. But twice a month, we break down into course. And that's when we go deep in these habits. And yeah, we may be having fun, doing dinners, having worship times, whatever they're doing, Bible study, we're going through the book of Acts, whatever, in their community group. But then they're getting real. And by the way, this isn't a new model. Um, during uh, the Methodist movement, John Wesley, the Great Awakening, all this. He did uh, what he called band meetings, which were the exact same thing where he took small groups of men, small groups, of women, three, four, and they just walked through this process of intentional discipleship with each other. And then they had their community groups too, that were a little bit bigger. And so for us, that's how it's flushed out in our uh, church. And so discipleship always looks like engaging in one of those groups and, and, and being real, having a place where you can let the, let the, uh, let your hair down. Yeah. and dig into some of the garbage of life and and work through it with your brothers or with your sisters.
1: Yeah, Justin, thank you so much for this. Um, I often tell my listeners y'all know, I invite people on that. I want to learn from, <laughs> and then hopefully they get to benefit. And so this is one of those times. Um, if someone, I mean, I know the book is available anywhere, yeah. mm-hmm. but you mentioned that there is a small group curriculum that goes yes. along with that. And so where can that be found? Where can people kind of just learn more about you?
0: Totally. Yeah. That's free. It's at barrierordinary.com It's just, you can just download it. And, uh, It'll walk you eight weeks right through these, these habits. And so that's, that's all free. Uh, voxchurch.org. You know um, I've taught on this, uh, you know, about a bajillion times at our church. So if you go to Voxchurch.org, you can find a million sermons uh, on, on all these topics. And so um, voxchurch.org. Uh, that's where they can find more information. And, you know, we try to make it as accessible as possible. So especially for churches, like we'll, we'll try to get as much of this in your hands as low cost or no cost. We're not trying to make money or anything like that. Honestly, our heart is to be a blessing to the people of God.
1: And Barry, your ordinary has already been a blessing to me. As I shared week one, the habit of relationship with a small group of middle school girls, I co-lead through my church. If you purchase Bury Your Ordinary, please purchase through the link provided at graceenoughpodcast.com slash habits of discipleship. All links are affiliates and go to help me continue creating and producing the podcast. Thank you so much for your support.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.